Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Living Jewishly with Rabbis Rachel and Rabbi Marcus. Welcome back, everyone. So nice to be here. Another great day to be recording a podcast today in our snowy St. Paul. I'm looking out the window. It it literally looks like a snow globe. The snow is falling so idyllically. It's like these big flurries flurrying down. I feel like our listeners are probably getting tired of us being like, it looks like a winter wonderland. We have to be positive, okay? If we let it get its down, it's a long winter ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. Someone told me that we've already exceeded the average snowfall for Minnesota winters, and it's only January 19th. So we have a whole winter ahead of us. Exciting for us. Wonderful. It's going to be great. I was looking up the information today about the St. Paul Winter Carnival, which is very exciting, coming up soon. And uh, it's amazing, the amount of myth built around this carnival. There's like a mythical king that like comes around the city and like throws things at people. I don't I'm, I don't quite understand it yet. I'm going to understand it though. But they did it in Mighty Ducks, so we have to do it too. Yeah, we're going to dig in this year. The, the scene, if you know Mighty Ducks, um, uh, when uh, Gordon Bombay kisses Charlie's mother, that is at the St. Paul Winter Carnival. It's very exciting. Very, um, very uh, ex- important experience for me as a young child learning what romance was when I was in middle school from that relationship. So it's really a foundational important moment for my life. So well, I'm excited to help facilitate that for you. Are we going to, to do that scene together at the St. Paul Winter Carnival? We certainly could. I have to rewatch the scene. That would make my dreams come true. <laughs> All right. We have a plan. Thank God. Thank God. Okay. What are we talking about today? Besides the St. Paul Winter Carnival. Talking about making your romantic dreams come true. <laughs> That's what we should always be talking about. That is that is the most important thing we can do. But we're talking about an equally sexy topic, the topic of denominations. Denominations. What do we mean by denominations? What is a denomination? We mean uh, uh, in Judaism, that would be Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, Reconstructionist, Renewal, the different sects, the different denominations within the umbrella of Judaism. Are we just describing denominations? What is our focus today? What is our question? Our question is, do we need these denominations? Right. Why are we asking that question again? We are asking that question because it's, I think, a, a question that people uh, ask quite frequently. You know, they say, why do I need to identify as a certain type of Jew? Can't I just be Jewish? You know, there's a, a Pew study that comes out um, that that surveys uh, the Jewish community every few years. It's always big news on uh, Jewish Twitter when it comes out. And, and they ask, what, you know, what kind of Jew are you? Are you Orthodox? Are you conservative? Are you just Jewish? In quotes. That's, that's one of the options. And, and that's always the grow, a growing, um, a growing answer is I'm, I'm just Jewish. I don't identify with any of these labels. That's the cool answer. That's the cool answer. Non-denominational rabbinical schools are on the rise. They're becoming more popular than denominational rabbinical schools. Um, it's kind of the, a growing trend to, to be, say we don't need denominations. We should just be Jewish. Right. And we, people see this also in history. You don't see really famous rabbis before the 1800s really mentioned denominations, right? In the same way. Um, so people kind of say, is this, is this real? Is it authentic? Is it 
real to Judaism or not. Um, and so that's an important question. I would also bring in Israel too, right? Israel is important. Right. Denominations don't tend to be um, a big thing in Israel. They, they more um, fall on ethnic lines. You know, people will have Sephardi Jewish communities, Ashkenazi Jewish communities, um, Mizrahi Jewish communities, Russian Jewish communities. So there'll be kind of ethnic divides, but not so much denominational divides. Yeah, so our, our question that we sort of want to embrace today is like, do we really need this? Like, if we're arguing about it and we're saying it's, let's have the discussion, let's talk about it, um, and, and, and with each other and, uh, see, see why, why we do or don't need this. And by the end of this podcast, both Rabbi Rachel and I will each separately answer this question. Do we really need denominations? Mm, I know you're on, you're on your toes waiting for the answer. Don't fast forward. Yeah, Let's I'm just trying to like, listen you know, in. Yeah, here we go. That is a, that is some nice, uh, who's it, who's not excited to hear that? So. Well, Rabbi Marcus, why don't you give us some history? What's the history of denominations? Who doesn't like history? I love history. <laughs> Don't don't make me bring up my middle school history uh, presidency. So. Oh, it's been a full five minutes since Rabbi Marcus brought up that he was president of his sixth grade social studies club. Exactly. They should have given me a badge I could wear the rest of my life, you know? That should be on your business card. I am the co-rabbi of Temple Barrett and president of my sixth grade social studies club. Yeah. I wasn't president of much, so. Um, well, let me tell you. Uh, in order to understand denominations, we really have to understand a little bit about history. And, and specifically, we have to understand how Jewish communities were governed uh, really before what we would call the modern enlightenment, right? The modern enlightenment that basically says that each person, no matter their religion, um, uh, could be an equal citizen in a nation state, right? So that was uh, really came about in the, the late 1700s, early 1800s, right? The, the French were kind of the first people at this, uh, the Germans, the English, but it came out of philosophy that was, it was going all around that time. Um, and of course, really also was a major part of the American Revolution in terms of the forming of our state. Um, and, and this is a radical idea that each and every uh, person can be a citizen, an equal citizen, regardless of their religion in a state. You know, you can be a Jewish Frenchman or a Jewish German or a Jewish American, all those things. That that was new. Uh, and it might not seem so radical to us now, but it really is and still is radical and, and certainly was radical to the people of its time. And, and in order to understand that, we have to understand how Jews lived before that. And that... And really the way Jews lived before that is they lived, lived at the generosity of the king or the queen or the lord of wherever they were. So uh, the king would agree to let a small group of Jews live in the area, a particular area. Um, they were never equal citizens to the actual, the, the people of the area. They sort of lived there off the generosity. And... Something that's very important is that they actually were self-governing. So they were governed by the laws of of of, of Judaism, the laws of uh, really adjudicated and judged by the rabbi. So if you had a conflict uh, with a some another Jew in your town, right? Uh, even over civil laws that we think the government does these days, you would actually go to the local Beit Din. You would go to your local rabbis, and they would solve the conflict according to their understanding of Jewish law. And interestingly, back then. So religion was religious law was mixed in with civil law. So there really wasn't a choice of whether you as a Jew can say I'm. You couldn't really say I'm no longer going to be Shomer Shabbat, right? I'm not. I, I don't feel like observing Shabbat anymore. I'm not going to observe Shabbat. Or you know what? I really want bacon. I'm going to eat bacon, right? That wasn't a choice that you made back then. Why? Because if you made that choice, then you would have been expelled from your small community and you'd have had no place to go. 
right? You would have no place to live. You couldn't just freely travel and live in any village you want to. You had to be accepted in by your community and your neighborhood. And if you weren't, if you had no place to live, there was no protection. You have no rights. You have no protection. You have nobody, no police, no nothing. There were robbers. It was extremely dangerous. You couldn't live that way um, with no community to live in. So, so religion was really compelled, right? You didn't have a choice of whether to be kosher, uh, what kind of Judaism you were going to practice. You had to do whatever the rabbi of your town was, and, and, and they had complete authority over the way that Judaism was practiced, for better or worse. And I would say that the differentiation in classical rabbinic text is not between kind of a theological or a philosophy of Judaism. It was between the, the knowledgeable rabbis and what they would call am ha'aretz, right? The, the regular people who were less studied, a little ignorant of what the complexities of the laws were, just kind of the general folk, the, the general folk of the, of the Jewish community. So that's the differentiation was between, you know, the knowledge level and the, and there were certainly people, it's not like everyone was rabbis, right? There mm-hmm. were people who were less knowledgeable about what Jewish law were, but they weren't, ha- they didn't have some sort of thought out philosophy of why they didn't, you know, have the same understanding. Right. But most, and most importantly here, the major practices of Judaism were not up for discussion. I mean, they just weren't. Um, the rabbi of the community made those discussion, there wasn't as much overall organization. Um, one, because the world wasn't as globalized, and also that you couldn't communicate between communities as quickly and easily. Um, so each community sort of did its own thing, and you, you had to, as a member of that community, follow those laws. And not, and not just in the Jewish community. We should say this is this is how the world worked, right? You were the, the Catholic Church and the you know the Muslim authorities. That's just whatever religion you were, though, it's how the That's world how worked. authority worked, right. right. But it was very much mixed in with governance, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, and life, right? And our basic, the basic needs of life. Now, that all changed once an enlightenment came, right? Uh, enlightenment said that each and every, even though you're Jewish, even though you belong to a different ethnicity or national ethnicity, you can be, belong to the nation state as an equal citizen. So you don't have to be of a certain religion to be a French person. You don't have to be necessarily born in France or, or something like that. Um, you can become a citizen of France and have equal, um, equal access to government and be under the same laws as everyone else. And in order to do this, the Jewish community basically um, agreed um, to say, you know what, we're, we're going to remove some of our responsibility and power to be able to govern ourselves, and we're going to sacrifice that in order um, to be a member of the French nation, or of the German nation, or of the American nation, or English nation, what, whatever it is. And that was a sacrifice to give up that power, right? Because all of a sudden now we're not adjudicating those, those, that power anymore. We don't have that power to adjudicate civil law anymore. Now if I steal from someone, I'm not going to get adjudicated by rabbinic courts in my own community. I'm going to get adjudicated by French courts, and by French laws, or by German laws, or English laws, just like any other person would be. So there was a little bit of a sacrifice, but what you of course gain through that as an individual Jew right, is now you can be a full member of that society that you were in and all, but what I guess we didn't quite realize though is now all of a sudden Jews can choose how to observe individual Jews can choose to how they observe their Judaism Right? They could, even if they choose to not observe Shabbat or not observe Kashrut or not observe Jewish law, no one was going to kick them out of their house because 
They lived under the French authority. They lived under a German authority. They did not live under the, the, the civil governance of a Jewish religious authority. So all of a sudden, individuals had the right to choose the religion they wanted. And not only that, but they, they had to choose the religion in a different set of circumstances. They lived in a society that wasn't Jewish, right? Even in its small town sense, right? So, um, you know, you might feel like you have to work on Saturday. You can't close the whole town on Shabbat and that no one would be working on Shabbat there. You would be uh, around restaurants all the time serving non-kosher food and all of the different um, um, things. And, and there would be so many questions. Uh, would you appear publicly Jewish, right? Would you, would you look Jewish, right? Or should you look like a, a normal German person, right? All these questions were questions that not, for the first time, had to be answered by each individual Jew. And of course, individual Jews would answer these things differently. So the movements really were a response to this question. The first movement that came along really was the reform movement. The reform movement said, okay, we really want to blend in with uh, German society, French society. first happened in Germany in the 1800s, right? And they said, I really want to blend in with German society. Um, you know, uh, so uh, we're going to shift the practices of Judaism so that they work well with German society. So what that means was sort of getting all of the strange, the, the, I mean, I, this in quotation marks, the strange peculiarities of Jewish religion that, that make us feel separate or different than the rest of the Germans. And we're going to to sort of um, stop doing those as much. So, um, for example, early Reformed Jews, um, no more kosher law because that made them feel separate from the Germans that were around them. Um, Sabbath was was originally, it was in Reformed Judaism, was observed on Sunday because that matched up with the German Christians of the time and would go to church and they would go to their uh, service. Also, in terms of, uh, but yet they, they still believed in God, they still read the Torah, and they, they, they basically conserved the elements of Judaism that sort of fit in, that they felt fit into modern um, German society, but uh, rejected the parts that didn't. Right? And I think they elevated the parts that answered the philosophical, ethical questions that were in the uh, milieu of the academia at the time. Right, because that was sort of a good way to explain Judaism, and, and you could be that kind of Jewish in, in German society and be accepted fully. And, and, and you, we might look at this askance today, but but it was not a decided question. There was tons of anti-Semitism. Um, it was a, a huge thing to be able to, for the first time, to be allowed into German society, to be allowed into secular society, and so you sort of do respect people saying, I want to be part of that society, so I might have to sacrifice a part Part of my own identity to be part of this larger society, right? I'm going to have to compromise in that regard, right? So that was reform. Reactionary to reform Judaism was orthodoxy that said, wait a second, I could be a full member of German society or French society. It was, of course, Germany in the beginning. Um, and I, but I could preserve every single jot and tittle of my, my Jewish religion, right? I could still be just completely kosher and completely Shomer Shabbat and all of the different laws and details of Jewish tradition and be a, a German or a French person um, at the same time. And I think this is a really important point because oftentimes the idea is that Orthodox Judaism is the kind of baseline Judaism that has been from the time of the Torah until now. And then the other denominations are breakaways from that 
quote unquote traditional Judaism. So I think the I, the understanding that orthodoxy as we know it today as a denomination is actually a response to reform Judaism is a really important point. Right, exactly. So orthodoxy in there is, is a response. Many people don't understand that and it's really important, right? So it's a response to that reform, that reforming, right? Now, conservative Judaism came as actually a breakaway, uh, after all this, from Reform Jews. Um, that a feeling amongst uh, certain groups of Reform rabbis at the time uh, that the Reform movement was going too far, that there's no, we don't have to uh, start eating uh, pork and shrimp and, and all these things like this just to blend into uh, a G- German society, that we can keep a higher degree of, of, of Jewish observance in some ways while still um, being involved in uh, uh, in in modern society now, this sounds a lot like orthodoxy, right? Um, and and it was back then. Conservative Judaism was a lot like orthodoxy and very close for most of its history to the orthodox movement. Um, the way that conservative Judaism was 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 a little different was that they believed in what's called positive historical Judaism, which means that when t- taking Jewish law into account, we can actually take history into account. That Jewish law is not some something that just uh, occurred once at Mount Sinai exactly the way it was, and it just didn't develop at all. And it and it, it was the same, you know, I, I that I practiced Judaism the same way Moshe Rabbeinu practiced Judaism on, on Mount Sinai, right? That's that 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 would be the uh, the uh, the, sort of the traditional understanding. Conservative Judaism sort of said, wait a second, our religion, if you look back at a historical record using modern historical methodology, has changed over time and developed according to the social mores of the people in its time. And, uh, and more controversially, that the Torah itself is a historical document that was created in a certain historical time. Right. I, I think the early conservative rabbis had some trouble with that, more than we kind of look... They, they, I mean, JTS didn't teach this until, you know, the, what, the 60s and 70s, and, and you start using critical biblical method methodology in there. But regardless, that's the conservative movement. And that's important to, to know that that's where the name conservative comes from. People often are confused by what is, what is you know, we think conservative politically conservative or right wing, um, but the, the name conservative Judaism comes because it was a response to the reform movement wanting to conserve more of the traditions. Right. The reform movement wanted a reform. By the way, not reformed movement. You're not a reformed Jew. You're a reformed <laughs> Jew. Very important. Um, and the conservative movement was a reaction to those reforms saying, you're reforming too much. We're going to conserve more. Right? But it doesn't mean politically conservative in that regard. Very, very important. Okay. So that, that on, on one foot is what denominations are all about. A response to enlightenment. A response to living in... They're a way, a technology per se, of responding to the modern world of being a full citizen of a nation state. Um, so now that we've kind of gone through a very quick history and we've left out a ton, we haven't talked about Reconstructionist Judaism, and there's a lot of different uh, topics amongst denominationalism we can talk about. Um, I, I want to, though, switch to our, 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 get to our question at hand. But before we do that, let's talk about our personal experience, because obviously our personal experience with movements is going to play a large role in what our opinions are. So, so, Rabbi, uh, so, so Rabbi Rachel, what are your personal experiences with denominations? How do you feel when I, when I say conservative Judaism? Yeah, I mean, um, I have uh, a pretty uh, linear linear experience with uh, denominations, I would say. I grew up affiliated with the conservative movement. I, my parents went to a conservative synagogue. Uh, I went to a conservative Jewish day school. I went to uh, um, 
uh, a conservative rabbinical school, and now I'm a rabbi in a conservative synagogue. So, <laughs> so uh, the line, the, the lines seem to connect. I didn't mean to insult your path. Yeah, really rude. <laughs> yes, uh, Rabbi. I'll say how my family came to conservative Judaism. Um, is how did your family come to conservative Judaism, Rabbi Rachel? A story that I think is familiar for a lot of people. My dad grew up at going to an Orthodox synagogue. My mom grew up going to a Reform synagogue, and so they decided to compromise and meet in the middle at conservative. Love the middle. <laughs> I would say it wasn't necessarily a deep philosophical approach; more of a practical. Uh, you know, a practical uh, consideration. Right, as it is for many, right? As it is, for, I think that's a similar story that a lot of people have. Uh, my journey with denominations is a little different. I actually grew up as a Reformed Jew, uh, and, and uh, you know, my parents are still practicing Reformed Jews and proud Reformed Jews in that regard. Um, and I went to a Reformed synagogue. I, I, I knew I wanted to be a rabbi from a very young age. Already in middle school, I knew I wanted to be a rabbi, and I knew what it took to get into Hebrew Union College, which was the Reform Seminary. I was very excited to go there, and I really didn't know much beyond what Reform Judaism taught. Um, so I, I, went, I eventually ended up going to Hebrew Union College um, and found out eventually that Reform Judaism really wasn't for me, that I really did want to um, observe Judaism. I did not want to reform Judaism. I wanted to just be an observant. I wanted to be an observant Jew. I wanted to follow what I felt uh, God required of us. And so that definitely was not uh, reform theology. Uh, and uh, But yet I wanted to preserve my values, uh, my modern values, and, and also an honest looking at our tradition to not ignore um, uh, historical critical scholarship um, and scientific scholarship to be able to take that into my Judaism as well and to balance those two things and and also to to preserve some of my liberal commitments like the equality um, between the sexes and 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 egalitarianism was as uh, what we call today um, and, uh, and 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 also the ability for men and women to sit together a place where my parents would would feel comfortable in a synagogue I don't think they would necessarily feel comfortable in a synagogue where they were not able to sit together in the same way and I and I wanted to preserve those things so I I ended up switching to the conservative movement in my third year of rabbinic school I moved from New York City to Los Angeles very very exciting and I, I found a a uh, relatively good home in the conservative movement. Although I would say I, I, I certainly struggle more than uh, Rabbi Rachel does. I think she, you find your, like, this is such a, it's like mashed potatoes for you, I think, the conservative movement. Like, it feels like the right place for you. And you feel, for me, it's like a lot of times it's a good place, but but I, I, I struggle a little bit more um, sometimes. And we'll talk about that a little later. And I think that's probably common for a lot of people. So, I mean, let's delve into it. So our question is, do we really need denominations? Um, let's start with the uh, uh, no answer. Let's start, no, we don't need denominations. Here are the negatives with denominations. Well, one, I think, okay, so I, I think the first negative about denominations, I think a lot of people feel, and I, I sort of uh, somewhat agree, right? Does it work um, to really group large groups of together based on observance, right? Orthodox Jews uh, practice and observe uh, Judaism one way, and conservative Jews uh, observe it uh, you know, one way, and Reform Judaism observe it a different way. Is that really a good way of separating people's Jewish uh, Judaism? Is or is it, should it be based on the way people think about Judaism? Right? Is that more important? Uh, is 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 it, is should it be based on what they want to see happening at the synagogue? Right? There are many different ways to to, to split Judaism. Should it be based on you know what goals you have in terms of Jewish practice? Right? So. There's sort of a, a sort of a, a sort of a capricious way of, of of grouping Jews based on how much you know 
uh, how how strict strictly do you observe in that regard? Um, and that's that's sort of uh, maybe maybe uh, slightly inauthentic and, and, and limiting in terms of really describing the full full picture of what a what a what a modern a modern Jewish identity in that regard. Which I think in some ways is a bigger question of can you group any large group of people together under one umbrella? I mean, even if you look at the conservative movement, the conservative movement in its ideology and philosophy certainly has certain beliefs. And then the Jews on the ground who go to conservative synagogues uh, act in very different ways and don't necessarily follow the ideologies and principles of conservative Judaism. Um, and even within conservative Judaism, different conservative synagogues have very different understandings of um, of what their principles and, and ideologies are. So does it even work? You know, there's so much diversity within each movement. Um, does it even work to, to group a whole bunch of people under one label? Right. Is it just honestly inaccurate, right? right? Uh, which is very important. And, and also to feel like I have to as an individual, fit into this box that's been created, this this certain system, this certain way of believing that I have to like fit, jam myself sometimes into these into these boxes in that regard. Yeah. So also, I mean, I think what people feel a lot as well is that like denominations are like because we don't see denominations um, before the modern period, right? They're not like as I would I would call it Mesinai, like from from Mount Sinai. It's like not like the Torah said, and there shall be Orthodox Jews and conservative Jews and Reform <laughs> Jews, right? And they shall practice in these ways, right? That never happened, and so people sort of feel like I I just that's too complex. I don't want that. Right? I don't want to be a part of that. That's not authentic to Judaism. Therefore, I'm going to be just Jewish, right? Now, I, I think. Some of these people might be helped by the idea of like why denominations came apart is because we were really as Jews trying to understand a question we had never asked before. We were never equal citizens in a country before this. We were always self-governing. So this is a question, this is a circumstance that was never asked before. Jews never really had the choice of saying, how much am I going to observe? What am I going to observe? And that's maybe why these denominations never uh, came, 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 came across. But regardless, um, I think they have a valid point that, you know, we can't take these things too seriously because they're not, they really aren't in the Torah, right? They're not in rabbinic literature and, and they're not sort of native to Jewish practice and Jewish tradition. I mean, I think there's also the kind of urge today to be like anti-institution, you know, there's, especially in, in America, there's such a drive towards individualism and that, you know, everything needs to be like exactly who I am in my uniqueness. Um, and institutions are dinosaurs that move slowly and don't adapt quick enough and, you know, are, are kind of leaving behind the, uh, uniqueness of, of who I am in this moment. Um, and so there's kind of a general trend towards that of leaving behind our, our storied institutions and so I think the drive against denominations follows that as well yeah I mean look I, I feel that I certainly feel that myself like you know I feel I like, don't I'm an, I'm an institution right, person you're, you're very different right but, <laughs> but I sort I sort of feel that within my own practice like I sometimes feel like I have to like cut off parts of my or I feel uh, persuaded uh, not by someone telling me to but just because it's just what it feels like that I have to like cut off a certain part of my Jewish identity or Jewish practice because it like doesn't quite fit in with the conservative Jewish gestalt per se right um, for example you know I really like davening from a, a fully Hebrew door, right and Hebrew 
prayer book. And I, so I like a lot of more traditional Sidurim. There's no conservative Sidur besides the one in Israel uh, that's made for Israeli conservative Jews um, that, that's fully Hebrew. So I, 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 I sometimes feel like I can't daven from the prayer book I want to because I want to daven from our prayer book, our movement prayer book, and, and, and stuff like that, and, and everything in between. I, I wear tzitzit out. That's not usually common for most conservative uh, rabbis and Jews, um, yet I do it. So it makes people say all the time, I've never met a conservative Jew like that, or I've never talked to a conservative Jew. Where's their tzitzit out, right? That's, you know, um, and so that, that makes it a little uncomfortable than just saying, you know what, I'm just Jewish. This is Jewish practice. This is what I do. Um, so that, that, that is, that, that's hard. And I think people do um, also feel the tension behind that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think you personally feel a lot of that kind of inner turmoil of wanting to fit in. And if there are parts of you that don't fit in, you know, how does how does that, where does that leave you in a world of denominations? Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, it's very hard to find the right, the right mix um, and the right place. Um, and, you know, so, uh, so, so yes, exactly. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But let's move towards my area of area. pro-denominations, pro-institutions. Pro-institutions, pro-denominations. What are the positives, Rabbi Rachel, for denominations? And I think the thing I find useful about denominations is that it leads to a level of transparency. That if I'm walking into a space, I have some sort of sense of what it is that I'm going to be walking into. Right. If I, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm traveling in Europe or Israel where there's fewer denominations and I, and I go to the synagogue or I go to the, um, to the Jewish community there, um, it's hard for me to know, like, is this going to be a place where I am going to feel comfortable? Am I going to feel as a woman, as a female rabbi, as a, you know, whatever other identities I hold? Like, am, am I going to feel comfortable and safe in this space? Um, and denominations help guide us in that direction. I have a, a sense of what it is that I'm walking into. Um, you know, we had a a rabbi in our previous community who who loved to to say labels are for clothing. You know they were very anti-denomination that they, um, you know, we should all just be Jews. And and for me that felt very inauthentic. Like what does that mean? You you have certain beliefs, you have certain understandings of Judaism, you have things that you think are within the bounds of your religious practice, out of the bounds of your religious practice. So to say that none of that matters is. Just saying that whatever you happen to believe is the right way and everything else is wrong, right? Like, I don't believe that. I think there's value in a diversity of Jewish communities, um, and we should be honest about what it is that we hold sacred. Yeah, it's really... Again, it's about communicating in a very shorthand what are what are the values, what are the things you're going to hear at our synagogue, and and our Jews, Jews deserve that. Jews deserve to be able to understand beforehand, you know, what they might see and 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 what the right religious community is, and 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 the belief really that there isn't, you know, almost implicit within the idea that denomination should exist is that there's not one. 100% correct way to practice Judaism for everybody, right? That That's the reason we have denominations, right? Uh, we are, you know, uh, we're conservative Jews here, but that doesn't mean that, you know, being a Reformed Jew or being an Orthodox Jew is wrong. It might be right for somebody else. Um, and you deserve to go to that synagogue and be a part of that and for it to flourish as well. Um, and, and certainly that's something that Rabbi Rachel and I really, really believe um, heavily. 
Yeah. And I mean, we could just say, you know, make a list of everything that you can find in our synagogue where egalitarian is. We, you know, we only serve kosher food. We do this on Shabbat. We don't do this on Shabbat. All of these things. We could just make a list. But in some ways, denominations are, are a useful shorthand for it. Right. I could also like when I go to a store, I can bring a, a, a ruler with me and measure each shirt I find to see like <laughs> if, if it's my size. But it's much easier to look on the tag and see small, large, medium. Exactly. Right. Even though that's not going to give me the exact sense of what I what I need, even though especially it's perfect, Especially in women's clothing, where the sizes vary greatly brand to brand, but it's still helpful. Right. It's still helpful, right? It's still helpful. Exactly. Sorry. Sorry. I know men's, men's clothing is very helpful. So, <laughs> um, okay. So, so, so there's that, right? And so, uh, and also, I, I, one of our great teachers for, for both Rabbi Rachel and I is, is Rabbi uh, Bradley Artson, uh, a great conservative rabbi and the dean of the, the Ziegler School of Rabbinic Studies. I remember him... A student once asked him a question. You know, the conservative movement is is losing losing members. Um, should, you know, you know, the conservative movement is making this mistake and that mistake. And they asked, you know, should there be no conservative movement? And I remember the first thing he said is, if 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 we go ahead and abolish, and you know, if we could, right, get rid of the conservative movement, right, someone would just it would immediately begin on a grassroots level, being established again. Uh, meaning for him, you needed a place where for people to observe yet it's a a place that's egalitarian that has modern values right those places would be uh, that that is that is uh, accepting of gay people and and all different kinds of and, and every and all different kinds in between um right that that those places sort of exist and and so it would be just created again it's just it's just those communities who hold those particular values coming together and working together for the greater whole right and that would be organically established once again so his basically thought was, even if you don't like the way it is now, you're, you would just be destroying something just to recreate it again. Which, by the way, I think we see in Orthodox sects and in Hasidic sects, you know, those are the people who might say we don't need denominations because they just think their Judaism is the authentic path forward and denominations help to foster inauthentic Judaism. But within Orthodoxy, I mean, the different communities hold by different rabbis and will eat under certain, you know, kosher standards of certain rabbis and not other rabbis. So they also need to know what it is that the community that they are a part of believes and what they don't believe and what they'll accept and not accept. They just may not call it a denomination. Right, right, exactly. Um, which, you know, it, it is what it is, but that that is that is the major thing. And, and I, you know, so, yeah. So I think, and I agree with Rabbi Arts, and I think we would create those, because because it's natural. It's natural for people to disagree. It's natural for people if they have, if people have choice, they're going to choose differently. And that should be protected, right? That should be sacrosanct. That's important that people have individual choice to choose which how they want to observe Judaism, and they deserve to have that, and they deserve deserve to be able to organize together with people who agree with them, uh, and 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 all those places should be preserved, and we do that here. One of the ways we do that here is through denomina- dom- denominationalism, right? And within the denominations, the fact that there is diversity within. The practice within each denomination that there are conservative Jews that keep kosher, keep different levels of kosher, keep different levels of Shabbat. I mean, I think that's also um, healthy and leads us to a healthy pluralism and helps us to, you know, figure out where the boundaries that we are willing to be expansive and where we need to hold firm. Right. So... Very, very important. That, 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 extremely important. It allows us to be, it allows us to have the plurality, the pluralism that we so, we so much appreciate. So, um, I, lastly, I, I'll, I'll say before we go, what does this have to say about Jewish unity? 
Right? Obviously, Jewish unity is something, I shouldn't say obviously, but Jewish unity is something that's really important that we as Jews stick together. And the rabbis were sort of, we see throughout the Talmud that the rabbis were really afraid of sects, right? They always wanted people to stay away from sects. And it was a value to sort of stay away from these different... S-E-C-T-S. Yes, sects. Sects. Exactly. Right? So they, they wanted us to stay away from that, right? So um, how do you sort of keep the unity alive? How, do, denominational, do, do, do denominations help us um, stay unified as a Jewish people, or do they aid our separation? Right, and that's an important question. I think they, you know, they can aid our separation by uh, kind of putting us in our own silos and our own areas, um, but they also help us to say, okay, I disagree with my fellow Jew on how we should observe the Torah in this area, right? I observe, uh, I, I disagree with how we should talk about Kashrut or, or Shabbat or, or the equality of men and women or what have you. It allows us to sort of put those conversations to the side with my fellow Jew and say, look, you can go to the shul you want to go to, and I can go to the shul I want to go to, and then we can come together on something we can agree on, right? But if we all had to live in one community together, then we would constantly be ferociously arguing about these things. And, you know, there would be, in some ways, less unity, because there would just be more tension between us in terms of trying to all fit into one box that we call Jewish, right? That would be much, in some ways, more difficult and actually lead to, to less unity over time. In some ways protecting and preserving pluralism actually leads to greater unity sometimes. So we said the positives, we said the negatives. Where where do you hold, Rabbi Marcus? Do we need denominations anyway? <sighs> it's imperfect. It really is an imperfect vessel. But, but yes, I do believe that we are better off with our de- denominations. Do they, are they imperfect? Do they need a lot of work? Are they not the greatest of categories? Yes, all those things may be true, but for me, I think what's important is to work to help to to make them better, to make them stronger. Um, because again, I I think it is important for uh, for Jews to know, and and for there to be a certain level of organization for Jews to know um, which synagogue they're walking into, um, what rabbi they're listening to, what are some of the values they might hold to be sacrosanct, um, and and then that we together can organize together. Um, who hold those beliefs? So if, if if we hold that you know one should observe Judaism and observance of Judaism uh, of Jewish law is really important, but we want. But I also hold that um, you know gay people should be uh, respected and and, and uh, uh, appreciated for their lifestyle, um, and that um, you know men and women are equal. I think it's such a good that we're able to organize together and say, okay, this is the way I, I, this is the community I want, this is the way you, the community you want. How can we work together across the country, even internationally, right, to, 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 to help our communities? So create prayer books, to create rabbis, rabbinic schools that, 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 that are able to foster and nurture that Judaism of yours. That's all essential. Uh, that, that, that makes denominations very essential. So in the end, yes. Is it imperfect? Um, yes, it is, of course, imperfect, but I think it is um, probably uh, a good thing, and, and, and certainly nowadays uh, a proud conservative Jew, and, and, and certainly uh, feel pretty good as a conservative Jew. So, Welcome on board. Shucky. Nice to have you here. Looks like I made it. I would agree. I would agree with everything you said. I, I am a believer in institutions. I'm a believer in denominations. I think that especially for um, you know vulnerable or minority uh, populations, 
women, LGBT, uh, people of color, I think it's it's really important for people to know uh, what they're walking into and if this is going to be a spiritually and emotionally and physically safe space for them to walk into. Um, and I think denominations, as you said, are imperfect vessels, but certainly help us get there. Right. Now, an important caveat with that is also, like, just because we say, yes, denominations are good, uh, a good and something that are, do help us and should be preserved, that does not mean that they should be, um, they are the most important thing about our Jewish identity. They are a helpful part of Jewish identity, but that doesn't mean it has to be a box that you must fit into, otherwise you're somehow uh, less than, right? You can preserve your unique Jewish identity while still participating in a particular synagogue or a particular denomination and recognizing the benefits of it, but yet you could still, um, you know, so I think it's really dangerous when we sort of lop off sides of our Jewish identity just so we can fit into this box of whether it's called orthodox reform, uh, conservative, whatever, reconstruction, whatever it may be in that regard. Let us know what you think. Do you uh, identify with a denomination? Does the, do you find it helpful? Do you let us know what, what you think? At Living Jewishly podcast. Is that it? I think that's it. That's it at gmail.com. Let us know. Let us know. Yeah, we really want to know. I'm, I'm curious. I really am. Uh, you know, I, don't, I know rabbis tend to think about this probably more than most people do, but um, we really would love to love to hear from you. Next episode. Who's excited about our next episode? What holiday is coming up next that we'll be discussing? <sighs> it's the holiday of Super Bowl. And so in honor of the Super Bowl coming up. A not- moment of silence for the Vikings. Moment of silence. Okay, that was enough. Um, they they lost, so it's very very big deal in Minnesota that the Vikings lost. We're going to be discussing the the sport of American football, um, and and say and the question that we're going to really be asking is: Is it within Jewish values to be someone who is a fan of American football to to regularly watch it to enjoy it? Is there something wrong about watching football? Now we're not going to go say I'm not going to say is it forbidden? Is it against Jewish law to watch football? Because that. I don't think that I think that's going probably too far. But the question is: it in line with Jewish values, especially over the injuries that have been happening, um, the, con- the problematic concussions, right? Um, is it in line with our Jewish values to to, to watch uh, American football? This may be our most controversial episode yet. It's the one I am maybe most nervous for. In, uh... We talked about a lot of controversial <laughs> things, but this this tends to be. I know we're in uh, we're in getting in deep water here. Football heartland here in the Midwest. It is. So people uh... love football here. Um, so you can probably tell that that Rabbi Rachel and I have a little bit lukewarm feelings towards football. Hey, no spoilers. I think they could probably tell from what, the way we're talking about it, but regardless. I have no idea. Maybe I would say something surprising. Uh, okay. Stay tuned. I know everyone thought Rabbi Rachel was a massive football fan, but but um, we are going to be having, a for, for the first time, a special guest on our podcast episode uh, next time, which is my friend Rabbi Adir Yolkut. I went to rabbinic school with him together, and he's an unbelievable uh, associate rabbi over at Temple Israel Center in White Plains, New York, and he is a massive sports fan. He is a huge sports fan, loves football, um, and is a deep, deep Jewish thinker as well, and he's going to sort of give us, uh, 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 enable us to have multiple sides to this discussion, and hopefully we'll have a fruitful uh, discussion for next time. So I'm really excited about it. In the meantime, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening.
everyone who sends us emails or stops us in the halls and lets us know what you think of our podcast. It really means the world to us. We cannot thank you enough for listening. Um, don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe wherever you're listening. It helps other people find our podcast. Questions, comments, criticisms, praise, whatever you got for us, send it on over to livingjewishlypodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. Thank you so much, as always, to our producer, Jesse Ulrich, and our theme music, Colleen Deeker and Jeffrey Baldinger. And thank you to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Oh, oh, oh. come celebrate the words of Torah with Marcus and Rachel.